Hey, welcome back to another edition of us uh, here at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. I'm Dion Baya. I'm Jay Blake. And we are uh, recycling a great little project we did a couple years back called The Sidecast at podwits.com. And this is a series that we're kind of uh, showing you guys what was the catalyst that made us get Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, uh, if you've been was, listening. We did a bunch of these. It would be the topics ranged from specific people to music genres to different genres different types of movies to conventions yeah. to art to novelizations we did all kinds of crazy everything subjects. under the sun and uh you know we fine-tuned it and came out with saturday night movie sleepovers but we're continuing now with this um series where we're giving you more content and we're just taking a stroll down memory lane and showing you other conversations that we had which we really loved and we think that new audiences might enjoy so this time around we're doing uh, 10 horror films that we discussed around Halloween of last year, yeah, oh, of so almost a year ago, yeah, October. This Depending came out depending on when you listen to this. 2014, we did. We we uh, proposed ten horror movies, five apiece, that we thought that people may overlooked that we that were really near and dear to our hearts, and that may not really get necessarily the exposure that. Uh, yeah. Ones that might have slipped through the cracks may not have if you're a huge horror fanatic, but ones that don't get kind of the recognition of the big ones, yeah, like Halloween or, or Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, ones that are fantastic that maybe you've seen and you haven't seen in a long time, you should revisit, but ones that we thought, you know what, maybe deserve a little more recognition. Yeah, they're near and dear to our hearts, and this is a very special cast because Blake and I went on location to Chinatown. <laughs> And we recorded this at Chinatown in the seediest Chinese restaurant we can find, just to give it a little more atmosphere. Yeah. So you may hear in the background people yelling ex expletives, ex expletives uh, in Chinese and all that, which we don't know what the heck they're saying. But it's great. It's fun. And On we location hope, in yeah. Chinatown in New York. This one posted in October of 2014. Give it a listen. We hope you enjoy it. back to another exciting edition of the Podwood Sidecast. Um, I'm here with Jay Blake, as always. Um, as always, I'm happy to be here. Um, we are doing a... We're so busy nowadays at the, <laughs> at the Podwoods uh, network that we figure we needed to do a sidecast, but we haven't done a sidecast in so long, but we're also doing it for twofold. We're cross-promoting another endeavor uh, Jay Blake and I have started out on called... Um, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, which can be found at SaturdaySleepovers.Podowitz.com. And we figured, you know what, since we need to be able to, um, to to get the word out on the street about our new site and our new podcast, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, that we figured we'd do a sidecast, we cross-promote, but we're just so busy nowadays with our, um, with our 
podcasting, and then Blake's got a blues album out, so Blake's touring the world. So what we needed, we figured what we need to do is we needed to get together really quick and record this sidecast. So we've decided to meet in Chinatown over dinner <laughs> to uh, just get this thing banked and out there as soon as possible before the um, so we are before the season. You're going to hear a lot of ambient noise and. Uh yeah, uh, slurping down some noodles. Some so low main. You're sitting in with us. Um, <laughs> Take a seat. One thing we should mention is that we this is going to be as part of the cross promotion. This is like the first. This cast is the first half of a concept. We're doing a Good list. Point. We're going to do a list cast, and for in, in honor of Halloween, not the movie. The well, also in honor of the movie, just got released. Yeah, you <laughs> just got a special box set release. Box set release, but in honor of the holiday coming up, tis the season. We're going to talk about uh, horror movies that are either kind of obscure or movies that we feel are kind of underappreciated yeah, need in the a horror genre. genre. And we could really go on for hours, so we try to narrow ourselves down to five for this podcast. But So Dion's going to have five, I'm going to have five, and then over at sleepoversaturdaysleepovers.podwits.com We're going to have another additional five written. Post, yeah, yeah, not a podcast, but a, a post. post. We're doing something over there where we do lists of movies that are worth revisiting. So we're gonna do a part two of this in text form over at the Saturday uh, night movie sleepovers. Yeah, so we figured we, we, you know, since it's the season, we were like, what could we do for a sidecast? And you know what? It's October now. Why not talk about Halloween? And we love horror movies this season. Why not cross-promote both, do something for the Podwits, for our sidecast. We'll do something on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, saturdaysleepovers.podwits.com. <laughs> so, we have a list of five movies apiece. Now, another fun uh, thing, uh, fun fact for our fans out there, that's pretty cool say that five times quick, is that we haven't compared lists. Yes. So we don't know what's going to happen uh, you know, I mean, it's not like one of us is going <laughs> to get killed or murdered. And, and at the end, we're going to play Russian roulette. <laughs> yes, we've got a gun here, and we're going to play Johnny Ace. No, what we're going to do is, you know, we don't know, so for all we know, we could have something on the list. So we're going to try to surprise each other. But we've known each other for so long, we probably won't be that surprised yeah. about stuff, but it, we're going to have to act surprised with the cast. In preparing for this, we were talking about it being a surprise, and I, I did say to Dion. Do you really think we're at this point we're gonna be able to surprise each other with picks? I said touche. So, like, and, would I, you and, like and to... I would say that I I didn't my list is not I didn't set out to surprise to surprise. I just and but initially when Care I... Bears the movie, <laughs> wow, that is horror. But when I did uh, sit down to start making a list, I did want to have a more varied list. That was my maybe, my maybe concern some as well. Crazy stuff. But when it came down to it, the movies that I really wanted to talk about were all were almost entirely movies that I kind of discovered while we were in college when I kind of really got into horror movies. Um, if you've listened to podcasts, uh, sidecasts before, or, or read some of the you know the posts and interviews I've done uh, for Podwits, I'm a big horror movie nerd, and even though. I kind of was going into college. Colleges was really the time that I uh, embraced it. So most of the movies we're gonna, I'm going to mention today were movies that I kind of completely fell in love with during that time period because that time period was so important to me. Um, and so these movies have really kind of shaped the rest of my life <laughs> since then. You should see what Blake looks like today. <laughs> um, 
So the first movie I'm going to pick. Well, did you have? You said you had news as well. I did, but I don't know if I. We can hold it in. You're going to guard it. We've, okay. We've talked in the past. I'll mention it real quick. I mean, it's not worth a whole discussion. But when we did our cast about uh, comic book conventions and animation, comic book art. When we were live at Manganero's Hero Boy. Oh yeah, which is much like what we're doing now. What I. Uh, we talked a lot about how I've been collecting animation art and original comic book art, and one thing I just recently obtained, well, it's actually in the mail, uh, I, re- I just purchased four original storyboards from John Carpenter's The Thing. Holy shit. Uh, Am I allowed to say that on here? <laughs> Holy shit, really? Uh, when they did John Carpenter's The Thing for Universal, he, uh, they hired Mike Plug a comic book artist who was known for kind of horror comics to do the storyboards and do creature concept art. And so I've been on the hunt and I just acquired uh, four storyboards that are coming in from the kennel scene, the dog scene. Oh, wow. That's a real clutch scene. Yeah. Would you like to start off the um, the cast? Well, you know, once you get them, I don't know if you'd be up to maybe put them up on Saturday sleepovers, show a little yeah, yeah, frame grabs and talk I, about... I'm on the search for some other one. It sounds like... try to... A, Accumulate a, it sounds like a posting is, is, uh, <laughs> is already being written in your head. It was uh, combining two of my re- movies, which I've always loved, horror movies, which I've always loved, and my new passion, which is original comic book art. It's kind of a blending of the two. Yeah. But How to get back on the business, the first movie I'm going to pick is a movie that we first saw in uh, a film studies class, and it's a 1965. A 1960 film by a director named Michael Powell, who uh, is best known for a movie called The Red Shoes, and the movie's called Peeping Tom. Oh, that's clutch. There's, so, there's a lot going on in Peeping Tom. Um, it's a film that when I taught uh, a class on horror films that I always showed, um, I think it's a really important film. Uh, it's a film that there's a lot of controversy around the film in that it it was made in England. Uh, similar subject matter to Psycho came out just before Psycho and Psycho became like the biggest film of all time like the first blockbuster you know pro- you know, took Hitchcock who was already huge propelled him into superstardom whereas Peeping Tom basically ruined Michael Powell's career and it's interesting because isn't Peeping Tom's color Psycho's black and white yeah it's uh, Hitchcock decided to shoot Psycho in black and white, which by 1960 was not customary. Peeping Tom is in color. The, in a nutshell, the story involves a, a man who is an assistant camera. <laughs> there's there's a, a huge <laughs> argument down on the other side of um, a lot our of little uh, noodle bar. A lot of action happening right in Chinatown. But uh, it, a man who has a is the son of a psychiatrist who was studying uh, the effects of fear, and it's kind of scarred our main our main character, to say the least. <laughs> and uh, he is basically a serial killer that that films his uh, his murders. He, he films his victims' reactions to, to their murder. Like, well, yeah, you don't really know what because a lot some of his first person. It's yeah, very, you don't really know what's going on uh, fully until later in the movie, but. Uh, uh, some of the interesting things about it, um, it's very kind of edgy for the time, um, much more so than Psycho even. Yeah. Uh, 
the way they go about like the Freudian aspect of it, which is very similar to the psycho thing, is much more um, scientific kind of. It's it it's just a really it's a movie that was really ahead of its time, and I think that's why people didn't connect with it. Well, they were like taken aback by it almost. It was like like too unsettling. Basically, right? like one of the reviews from like a reputable uh, publication was that the only way you could dispose of this film is to throw it down the sewer, and even that, like, wouldn't get rid of the stench, or something like that was the review. And it took a guy who was really a big director at the time. I mean, it wasn't like some Joe Schmo, this was his first movie, it failed, and okay, never made another movie. And he probably did make a few movies after this, but it really did ruin his career. And it wasn't until the 70s when Martin Scorsese and... uh, Francis Ford Coppola kind of rallied behind Powell and brought this film back and kind of showed like this is amazing this is like a really great film um, it was it was written by a guy named Leo Marx who worked uh, he was the head of code development and code security uh, for the special operations executive in England so he was basically a code breaker well in charge of codes uh, during World War II and so his big thing was that there were transmitting um, messages from the spies that are out in the field, the information, sometimes they would have to retransmit it, and then that's when they would get caught because it didn't, the, they couldn't understand the code or whatever. So he said, look, no, no spy ever has to transmit anything twice. So, I mean, he, he devised all these things that allowed, you know, spies to save a lot of lives in the field and helped fight the Nazis and the Axis uh, forces. And in his mind, Peeping Tom is very much an exploration of the uh, subconscious, which is, to him, the unbreakable code. This is a great movie. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's quite groundbreaking. It really for, is. It's truly... And it holds up. Time. It's not like it's dated. I mean, it's dated in the sense of it takes place when it was created, but... Whenever somebody asks me, um, they find out I'm really into horror movies, I taught a class in it, blah, blah, blah. They're always like, oh, give me, a, give me a title, give me a film, something I should watch. And this is always probably my go-to. Because not too many people have seen it. I mean, we should say that going into this list, look, if you're a die-hard horror fan, kind of the way that I am and the way that Dion, uh, just into cinema... Some of these movies are not going to probably be new for you. Yeah, we're not really looking to like uh, hip, uh, like real horror fans, but or I the, mean underground horror fans. But if you're just a novice, but the co- the casual horror fan, or even the film lover that doesn't maybe not gravitate naturally towards horror films, some of these film these films are definitely a good place to just to start looking at to kind of expanding your horizons. And that Keeping way, Tom is a it's really an uh, an excellent film. Yeah, we can't we can't talk it up enough. I mean, we, we've given it five sleepover stars. <laughs> if we even have any, five bottles of cold. Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing. Um, I think I will do the next one. Um, I picked. I know it's. Um, I don't want to hear any laughs out there. But uh, this one is another one of these that, like Blake uh, said, that it holds a special place in our hearts, or at least in my heart. And that is. Uh, 1982's George Romero's Creepshow. Ah, Creepshow. Okay, now there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on here. I'm a huge fan. I grew up with The Twilight Zone, 
uh, Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Crypt, uh, all those episodic um, TV shows. And I love anthology shows, anthology films. Um, and I really wrestled between having um, uh, Tales from the Crypt, the movie from 1972 starring Joan Collins and Peter Cushing, or Vault of Horror, which is the sequel because Tales from the Crypt, the original movie, did so well. That came out the next year in 73, which has uh, Terry Thomas and Doctor Who's Tom Baker, for all you Doctor Who fans out there. He's in that playing a non-Doctor uh, character, which is great to see him as a t- uh, takeoff. But I wrestled with the three films because I think they're all really good. But then I kind of settled on Creepshow because I think it's it has so much going for it. Uh, George Romero did it. Uh, he was really, I think, at the peak of his, ho- his success at the time. It was a really a, a big-budget movie for what it was. Um, it had Leslie Nielsen, Hal Holbrook, Adrian Barbeau, E.G. Marshall, Ted Ed Danson. Harris, Ted Danson, <laughs> Stephen King was in there. Stephen King wrote it all. And it basically is just a very, it's not a send-up, but it's an homage to the EC Comics. And uh, EC Comics at the time, you know, we grew up in the 50s uh, and stuff. <laughs> we didn't ourselves grow up in the 50s. <laughs> I, was but, say, I, don't rem- I don't remember those times. <laughs> but we had um, EC Comics and all those, were, you know, for, the, for a lot of the people growing up in the 50s and 60s, or especially in the 40s and 50s before the Comics Code. The EC Comics was the place that you, it kind of opened up the uh, mind of a child to these kind of uh, things. And that's where you get, you know... Um, Tales from the Crypt, Volta Horror, uh, all these other various titles, and, the and then later you had things like post that you you had kind of a resurgence with things like Creepy, yeah, uh, in the sixties and seventies because they all got but, banned with the Comics Code. But then this is just basically an homage for Stephen King and George Romero to pay a tribute to that. But they're very, it's very well done where it's 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 told through the eyes of a child and it's set up as a creep show is one of these comic books and each story is different each uh, there's about five different stories in it and each uh, story is a, is a little episode in the movie and it's it's really well played good special effects Tom Savini did the special effects for it it's all a good, it's got a good score too um, I can't remember the guy's name Harrison I think is his last name didn't do a whole lot of uh, scoring I think he actually worked uh, in other aspects of film production, but uh, he did. The, it's got a great score to it. It's a really fun film. It's very, you know, the way that um, you know, it's nostalgic for us because of when it was made. But you can tell that the, that that Romero and Stephen King and, and all the, the, the especially the horror filmmakers, but all the filmmakers of their generation grew up loving these EC comics. So you can really tell that. Uh, Creepshow is a bit of nostalgia. Yeah, it's the love. It's, it's like a love, it's like it's a like love a, letter to definitely them. Definitely a love letter to um, uh, something that they remember fondly. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to disparage anybody here, but in my personal opinion, Romero's kind of maybe gone down from that era of, you know, his Night of the Living Dead and Martin and Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and then he even did, um, what's the one he did uh, that when the remake of Night was going on? It's with the with the twin brother Tim, what's his face? Oh, dark half. Yeah, dark half. You know, after that he kind of went down, and I feel like this was the. I like. I do have a soft spot for monkey shine. Yeah, monkey shine. No, but I mean, (laughs) I feel like this was the top of his success. He just done Night Riders. Was about to do Night Riders with Tom Savini and Harris. And Creepshow really just embodies everything. You have like big big name actors. I mean, like I said, Hal Holbrook's in it. You have E. G. Marshall, and. 
uh, a couple of the stories in there, they're all pretty good. I'd say my least favorite is probably the one Stephen King stars in, but not to say that isn't, it's still pretty good. But there's a couple of these, the one with um, Ted Danson and um, Lee, um, Liam Neeson, I was going to say, Leslie Nielsen, is amazing. It still scares me to this day. And it's one of the last times you actually get to see Leslie Nielsen giving a straight performance. Yeah. He'd give a straight performance in, I think, the Poseidon Adventure, the original. He was the captain of the boat. Of course, but he, Forbidden Planet. For, yeah, Forbidden Planet in the 50s. But then this way, he kind of went into, like, a police story. He was at it, and then Naked Guns, and he did all those in, in all his comedies in the, in the 80s and 90s. So... It's good to see him, and he's really good in the role, and the whole movie's very good. I just think it's it's one of these things you can just sit down and, like, not so much laugh, but it's just exciting, it's fun, and it, it really just has a great heart behind it. Um, I think it's maybe on the Halloween 3 commentary. Um, something I was watching with, or, or was reading, and in some interview with Tom Atkins, and he talked about how he got, that came to him to be in the creep show. But the part he really wanted to play was the part that Stephen King ended up playing. So they were like, oh, well. The Bumble Farmer, like the hill backwards <laughs> well, farmer. King's going to play it, so yeah. he, he didn't get to play that part. But He does uh, a pretty good job. I mean, I don't know if that's his first, you know, forte into acting, something aside from a cameo, but I thought he was, did a pretty well job. But overall, I mean, the special effects are great for the time. Um, the, the monkey in, in, uh, underneath the stairs yeah. is very... Tom Savini loves that. That's like, you know, <laughs> he feels that's like one of the best things he's ever done, and it's very good. And so, wholeheartedly recommending 1982's Creep Show. And, honorable mention, please check out the 1972 movie, uh, Tales from the Crypt, and its sequel, Volta Horror, from 1973. Also, great English episodic uh, uh, anthology and, horror uh, films. Also, very much, Bava's... Uh Black Sabbath. It's, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah you're right. Very similar kind of yeah, another honorable mention. Yeah, <laughs> which is one of my personal favorites. What do you got next? I'm funny enough. <laughs> dum, 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 dum. My next pick is a, also a George Romero movie, 1976. Martin. Ooh, which you would, love Martin. I do love Martin, and it's a film that I would love to remake someday. But uh, and I don't say that often. That's for another cast. <laughs> um, George Romero. He's coming off of. Uh, the Crazies, and it's just before Dawn of the Dead. Uh, Dawn of the Dead, I'm mean, obviously Night of the Living Dead was huge, but Dawn of the Dead was really what kind of established him and his career. I feel like that was such a big kind of international sensation that it that is really the movie that spawned like the Italian horror, yeah. the zombie cannibal. Which we kind of did a, a cast. A, one of the first side casts we did was about that. Um, you know, us going into the Italian horror films and stuff like that. Um, but Martin, a very interesting uh, movie. Um, young actor named John Amplis uh, plays a, a young man who is sent to Pittsburgh to live with like his great uncle or something. Yeah. And he is uh, a young, confused guy who thinks he is a vampire. But it's interesting to twist that Romero puts on... Um, the mythology, but especially his character, this Martin. There's a, you know, there's also there's a debate as to whether he really is one or if he just thinks he is. I've always viewed it as that he thinks he is, but any, you know, it's up to interpretation to the viewer. Um, you always thought he is, or is that he is um, that he is not? Okay, I kind of thought he, he was. That's interesting. That he's just the troubled young guy. But it's the, I think for Martin, what's very original about it. I can't think of any other movie that does it this way, where 
he doesn't have the fangs. He doesn't have the. He doesn't have all the traditional tropes that a vampire has. He just needs the blood. So yeah. what he does is he, he kind of, um, he doesn't. He's not very good with women either. So he, he kind of like stumbles onto them, and he'll you know knock them out with what he uses like a some sort of anesthesia or a serum, yeah, yeah. and then he'll slice their wrists and just suck yeah, their wrists. And with, it's just with a straight razor. It's, it's very, very erotic. It's but a it, very um, interesting modern, even though it's the 70s take on, on like a vampire lore uh, and the great aunt, uncle completely believes him yeah, he's like the uncle, Van Helsing he's his, like, I'm un- gonna... his uncle Kuda uh, he does believe that he is like uh, an evil monster and it's basically a, a, a serial killer film that takes place in the mid 70s because it's so low budget in the mid 70s it's very dated in terms of wardrobe um, there are cheesy things about it because of uh, budgetary reasons uh, we also watched this film in, in class um, which wasn't the first time we had seen it but we ended up watching it and people just could not take it seriously and it was kind of upsetting which people, is funny because we were watching it with fellow film students and if, if, if you're, you're trying to preach to people to you know give films a chance the last people you think that would have to have a problem with this are but, film students and surely there are kind of comical things in it um, Savini did the effects again. The first, I think it's the first movie that brought Romero and Savini together. He's also uh, Savini's in it. Yeah, you got a bit mustacheless Savini. I must say, <laughs> free mustache Savini. <sighs> Rare nowadays. Um, it's a really, it's just, it's a really interesting, heavy film. Uh, it's just a really great movie that I feel like, you know, when we kind of discovered a lot of these movies, there was a bit of a resurgence from things like Anchor Bay Entertainment. Um, before Blue Underground, but there was kind of a resurgence where a lot of these movies were getting re-released in like widescreen and kind of digitally remastered on VHS pre. That was still huge though. Pre DVD and um, with trailers at the end after the credits. <laughs> but I feel like since then, this movie has then once again kind of like fallen a little bit into obscurity. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it's, it's, it's my sad. favorite Romero movie. Um, it's definitely worth seeing if you're and at any at all fan of a vampire and especially nowadays with like the true blood or what's the other one that, that, that it's, it's big the, um, uh, there's so many yeah there's still there's huge Twilight, vampire that's what I mean Twilight there's like, these big blood. vampire franchises Guillermo you know, del Toro has the strain now on TV I mean the last I'd say five six years have been like a huge resurgence they kind of replaced the zombies somewhat yeah and but if you have any really interesting yeah. film uh, heavy He's struggling. He's, you know, it's like probably the first movie that we get where the vampire doesn't want to be a vampire, but he's cursed by it. You know, he's not just a monster. He feels bad for what he's doing as well. And that's why he's like, he struggles, I think, with the moral dilemma of killing these women for the blood that he believes he needs. But then that's the question. And even at the seat at this table, Jay and I have a debut. He believe, he doesn't believe in what I do. So it's like, who knows? But certainly um, his uncle, Uncle Kuda. Kuda believes it. A.K.A. Van Helsing believes And he it. has, like, a cousin who lives with them who's played by Romero's wife. I don't know if she was married to Romero at the time. Oh, and she thinks Kuda is just crazy. You know, she doesn't buy it. So it's, it's just, it's a really interesting, I mean... But it's interesting because they have the flashbacks, and the flashbacks are in black and white. Yeah, so it's, it's really, really, like... It's really interesting. If you're paying attention, it's if, 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 you, if you just half-watch it, it's not a good watch. But if you really pay attention... And it's interesting because it's playing into... Uh, he calls into a radio show with like the name the count and he kind of describes to the radio host you know his 
and they all think it's kind of a joke, but he becomes a bit of like this radio personality, even though it's kind of like, uh, you know, nobody knows it's him calling in. It's just, it's a really interesting film. Um, really kind of outside uh, the kind of film that you think Romero, you're accustomed to from Romero, like it's not a zombie movie. I mean, even... Um, so it's fairly small cast as well. Yeah, yeah. A very intimate, tiny film. Very interesting. Worth checking out. And it has one of our favorite lines where it's like, uh, First I will save your soul, <laughs> then I will destroy you. Let me take you to your room. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, my second movie is, um, like uh, Jay Blake mentioned, it's, it's, we, we tried to tr- have a wide range here. And I feel this kind of borders horror, but kind of thriller. But I needed to put um, one of the actors who this is on the list. And I figured this might be a, a great example to do it. Um, this is 1946 Dragonwick, starring Vincent Price, uh, Gene Tierney, Walter Houston, uh, a young Harry Morgan, and a very young Jessica Tandy. And um, this is basically a turn of the century or late 1900s movie about uh, Vincent Price uh, owns this big manor house castle uh, in upstate New York, which actually is only probably like Terrytown or Sleepy Hollow. So it's it's not it's only like say a half hour, 20 minutes north of the city. He comes to the Connecticut coast to this farm, and he he takes on a wife. He, he writes him, and he takes this girl as his wife, and he brings her to his house. And at the time, uh, Vincent Price was doing on. Uh, Broadway, Scarlet Street, and then that uh, he actually originated the role in the play in Scarlet Street. That went on to become Gaslight, the movie version, and Vincent Price wasn't in that. It was another actor who played his role uh, opposite, I think, um, what's her name from uh, Casablanca? Uh, Bergman? Yeah, Agri Bergman. And Vincent then went and did this, and it's basically him playing the same character. And this is the important ways where it's a thriller. It's really the first... Uh, time you have Vincent hearing voices, he's possessed, he's hearing, uh, you know, footsteps, he's talking to himself, all this, all those tropes that you you, you come and love Vincent Price to do, it, it's really got its beginnings in Dragonwick, and at the time he wasn't a horror actor, he was still doing um, genre stuff, he was still a leading man, and it didn't really get into the 50s, into the early 50s when he started doing some horror stuff into the House of Wax, that he was really branded a horror actor until the late 60s, so... I highly recommend Dragon Wick, and Wick is spelled W-Y-C-K, so Dragon Wick that way. Yeah. And it's uh, a film directed by Joseph Mankiewicz, and it's off a very good novel uh, by of the same name by uh, Anya Seton from the early 30s. Now, I know that you're a, you know, just a big Price fan in general, yeah. so is this a tough choice for you? It was, because um, one of my written, I think, is going to be a Price one as well, and I bet you could probably pick out which one it is. <laughs> But it's tough because he had, you know, you want to try to get the right representation of a Vincent Price movie on here because he had a shitload of very good Roger Corman movies. But then it got to a certain point where those Corman movies kind of became parodies of themselves. Yeah. So like the Oblong Box or Witch, Witch Master General or uh, even like uh, um, House Fall, the House of Usher. Great movies, but then it's just kind of hard to narrow it down. Do you do House of Wax? Do you do The Fly? Do you, do, you know, he's, he's got such a great uh, repertoire so it's like so it was hard I, I, I spent a lot of sleep at nights doing you know, what do you this. think it is about him that kind of pigeonholed him in, in like the horror genre I think clearly he, somebody saw something in him and then his career kind of went that direction I think he just did it so well and I think it's 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 you know he's one of these guys who he's very elegant I mean uh, he's from St. Louis but when I grew up I thought he was English just how he, he's diction I mean he never 
he never went to he went to school he went to Yale to, to study for um, for art history and he wanted to be a teacher and an art historian and, and that basically got him to act he wanted to collect art and go around the world and travel and, and discover and find art and he realized much like a lot of our great actors uh, again harken back to James Cagney for the same reason if you're good at acting you can get a big paycheck and that can enable you to do a lot of stuff and Cagney at the time was either he was going to be a taxi cab driver and he had like his mother and like five and six brothers and sisters living in a little apartment on the Upper East Side he's like acting pays big so he can support the family same thing with Price Price wanted to be able to to, uh, to his two loves which was cooking and which was art so I think he was so good at what he did and he was like the Ernest Borgnon in the sense where he could take a crappy role and make the, the lines credible and he's very good at making stuff believable yeah. and uh, I know it can get a bit melodramatic in senior later years of life but I think he just he was one of those guys who was a good looking man you know he, he didn't kind of look like a Peter Lorre or a Lugosi so he didn't have that physical deformity like big eyes or an accent so I think it really endeared him or endowed him to play like proper uh, English or just American gentlemen who can be haunted by these whatever these psyches or these houses or these these yeah. demons. So that's what I think it is, and, and that and your one sentence answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna stay. I mean, I, you know, like I said earlier, I wanted to. Try we're sweating to, bullets here because we're like Jesus. What, what's what's really, gonna happen? I really wanted to kind of be more all over the map. Pick like weirder stuff. That's but, what I was saying. But so when, when I, I did this, I was—I thought you were going to be like, "That's not a horror." Movie. But when I really thought about it, the ones that I really wanted to talk about, maybe my five for the post on the other site will be a little more scattered. But the ones that I really wanted to talk about um, were all movies that we just discovered at the same at that one time. That like four years of like very formative Heavenly time course. in our life you yeah. know where like we were studying films and, and stuff and so the next my next movie is also 1976 uh, directed by the great Larry Cohen God told me to wow <laughs> I would have never thought you would have picked that that's interesting you and I went to a colloquium like a sh- um, yeah where we saw we watched this film and we, he did a Q&A yeah and he talked about it was right at the time when um, they had the DC Sniper I remember he was talking about a re-release a major theatrical re-release and he there was issues because at the beginning of this movie, there was a sniper killing people. Yeah. And it was very um, too close to home for the public at the time. So he had to kind of dampen his re-release schedule because of this uh, D.C. area sniper that was also targeting people. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a really interesting film. Again, very dated, like Martin. Low budget, mid-70s. So it's, you know, it's a little kitschy in that way. But it's a really interesting concept. I'm surprised it hasn't been remade yet. Yeah. Um, Low-budget New York City. Basically, the basic plot is there's a cop, a detective named uh, uh, Peter Nichols, who's played by Tony Lobianco, which if you saw him and you watched movies from the 70s and 80s and stuff, you would probably recognize him. Um, And like Dion mentioned, there's the film opens and there's someone snipering people off of like a water tower or something. And so they make their way up the tower to him, and Tony Lobianco says, "Why are you doing this?" And he said, "God, because to- God told me to." And then he kills himself. Um, and that's then, how the movie opens. <laughs> that's like the opening of the movie, and it's like this run of basically like bizarre, apparent, seemingly unmotivated murders going spree going throughout the city. And 
and everybody's reason when the, the Tony Lobianco gets there is God told me to. But it is, it is um, clutch to point out that this is prior to social media, to um, internet, so theoretically within the uh, confines of the film, the other people would know that, that this is the last word from the, yeah. this one cop. I mean, hearing. eventually I think it makes its way into the papers and stuff, but... Um, and the also thing, very important part, is that he is someone who was very religious, God, who at yeah. some point lost. He's been struggling with faith, and so like this notion of everybody keeps saying God told me to. Um, then we learn about a cult and blah blah blah. And there's, it's uh, it takes a bit of a science fiction turn, which is interesting, and one of the reasons why I really, another reason why I really like this movie. Um, it starts to question. Religion in some ways, uh, Christianity. Well, he starts to have this huge uh, moral conflict because it's, it's going against because he's turned his back to the to the church and the faith, and now these people are saying God's telling. But even these like the, the, the cult aspect, and also we're coming off of. I mean, it's seventy six, so there's. It's, but we're coming off of things like uh, you know Manson, yeah, and um, this whole like, and then you know Jonestown. Yeah, it's about to happen uh, in a couple years, and it's like. This like notion of like cult and um, this fear of kind of uh, assimilation, I guess. Yeah, and like a, a cult leader that could influence people to do bad things. And then, like I said, it takes this weird sci-fi turn, which I fucking love about it, and I don't want to ruin it because it's part of the whole plot. I gotta see it again. I don't think I've seen um, it since we we saw it in the theater. And very low budget, you know, Larry Cohen, very much like grab a camera, get in there. There's stuff where it just looks like it's Cohen with a camera. Yeah, no I, I think a lot of it, um, <laughs> one of the pot, the friends of the pod, which Randy Jurgensen helped shoot that movie, he said a I'm lot sure. of it is... Because the, there's the big St. Paddy's Day Parade uh, scene, and it looks like they just ran Yeah, they just ran it and, and just put Andy Kaufman. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Andy Kaufman before he's famous. <laughs> in, in, a, NYPD. in a cop outfit, like, threw him out into the parade. Yeah. So he's, like, directing to, traffic. They get a scene, and... Uh, is this a, it's a really it's a really weird kooky film it has like another title called like Demons um, but I, it's to me God Told Me To is the, is the perfect title for it I mean I, Larry Cohen around that time did Cue the Winged Serpent which is another film I love and very easily could have made its way onto this list but God Told Me To just really stuck That's out that's one with Moriarty with the New York City with the uh, yeah Michael Moriarty wow the gargoyles uh, right or something or the demon vulture and, things and uh, David Carradine. That's a that's a movie that I that was on just be a lot really it, leaked. It's a great. Crap that out is me. a great movie because the, uh, the demons are leaving the Chrysler Building or something. Yeah, there's or like a wing, there's a wing serpent. <laughs> um, Cohen, great. It's a live great movie also. But this one yeah. is my favorite and a movie that when I saw it when we were in college, this kind of really fucking blew my mind. Wow, check it out. Okay, I got. Um, we're staying <laughs> in the seventies. It's a good time. It's a good time for her. Um, my third pick is a uh, scared the absolute shit out of me when I saw it. It was on Halloween night. Oh, what year was this? 1986. And I went trick-or-treating. I came back and my father was watching it. So I sat down and watched it with him. And then the end scene just scared the bejesus out of me. And I think it's a it's one of those movies that it's a perfect movie. You could talk about, say, The Terminator, Back to the Future, are a perfect script, The Thing, perfect movie in any, any way. And I'm talking about... Um, 1978 Philip Kaufman's Invaders um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That to me is I, just. You know, I it, I was gonna put it on here, and I said I think Dion will probably choose this one. Yeah, it's because uh, it is a movie that I love 
as much as Dion does. I mean, it is so good. It is a remake of the Don Siegel, I think it's 1955 Six, or 56. Uh, and that is a great movie in its own right, Kevin McCarthy, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But it's amazing how similar it is with the pl- I mean, that's the same exact Yeah, yeah, the same points are same, yeah, everything. And also at the same time, how different it is just by placing it in two different locations at two different times. Yeah. Uh, when I taught the horror class, I actually showed both films, not back to back, but in the beginning of the semester, I showed the original, and <clears throat> towards the end of the semester, I showed uh, the remake. It, the, both great films, but the I'm with you. The 78 remake is, in my opinion, one of the, like the most well-made movies of all time. Yeah, it's 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 got it's got so much going on, and it. it's so weird. They they the original movie takes place in a small, sleepy California town, like sub sub suburb, and the '78 version here, uh, Kaufman takes it and he puts it into San Francisco, which is interesting because then he do another movie that we were just talking about that was in San oh, Francisco. We were talking about uh, the guy who wrote it. Yeah, yeah, wrote Big Trouble in Little China, yeah, which also takes place yeah. in San Francisco. And it's interesting. It's such a good movie, and it. You would think it wouldn't be conducive to a big city environment, environment, but it really works because a lot of the stuff they grab are just a lot of um, uh, just I think like just experimental stuff where they just put a camera with Donald Sutherland walked around the streets and people are looking at him weird. And basically, it's about people are going to sleep waking up as different people, and the relatives are like, "There's something different about this person." And come to find out, it's aliens are coming down. It's the perfect alien invasion. It deals with so much of like you know. Horror in general, you're dealing with with fears, and some fears are very specific, like arachnophobia, fear of spiders, and some fears are very universal. And the ones that really work are the ones that are kind of universal. And this this fear of like loss of identity, yeah, um, is has spawned like some of the great horror and sci-fi films of all time, including John Carpenter's The Thing, even even Night of the Living Dead to a certain extent, turning into a zombie, yeah, uh, losing yourself to that. Vampire films also very much. Um, but Invasion of Body Snatchers, it's just, it is like, it's like a master class for filmmaking. Yeah, it's when you so watch weird. There's, not there's nothing that's incidental. Like, every choice you can see is, like, precisely made. Things being set off camera, people in the background of shots. Yeah, the more you watch it, the more you pick up on these weird things that it all makes sense. They all go to the ultimate goal, which you may not see on the first or even second exactly. viewing. There's, it's, just, it's so layered. And yeah. so deep. Um, um, and it's just fantastic. Great cast. Sutherland, Brooke Adams. Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, uh, Leonard Nimoy, Jeff Goldblum, Veronica Cartwright, and a great cameo at the beginning by Robert Duvall, which he's not building the cast. <laughs> uh, Don Siegel, the director of the original cameos at the end, is the cab driver. Uh, and it's very interesting for the Star Trek fans out there because at the time, uh, Leonard Nimoy was going through this weird phase where he just... Uh, wanted to get as much or f- as far away from Spock as possible. So what does he do? He starts doing like TV in search of, and he does this movie. And basically, in this movie, he becomes one of these plant people. Eventually. It's kind of brilliant casting, and he, and he becomes a, a, a emotionless alien. Exactly, like <laughs> because it, it's like using the perception of what Leonard Nimoy is as Spock against the audience by placing a guy who we're used to seeing like that. In a role where, like, you're not sure. Yeah, because you don't know at the point who it's much, very much like John Carpenter's The Thing or Howard Hawks is The Thing from Another World, 
uh, um, or it's like, you know, who is human, who isn't, and it all becomes that, you know, are you one of them, are you a pod person, are you, you know, don't go to sleep, and, and it's very, it's definitely worth seeing, 1978, Fantastic. Invasion I mean, of the uh, Body Snatchers. Literally one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Um, what do you got? Uh, the next one was tough, I, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, lightly about what the kinds of things we would pick, and I've talked about Dario Argento um, multiple times. That was as my wife said. She goes, are you going to put a Dara Argento movie on there? And then she started suggesting. I was like, baby. <laughs> I was like, I know, if I know anything about Jay Blake, Jay Blake's going to put one on there, and he's going to put a good one on. And, uh, so don't you worry your pretty little face. And uh, the interview that I have on the podcast site uh, with uh, Alan Jones, who's, a, Huge. who's the guy who wrote the book on Dario Argento, yeah. and we talked in depth about Dario Argento. Um, I wanted to pick something that was even way more obscure. Can I can I tell the people uh, a little secret here? Prior to this record, uh, Jay even said to me, "I don't know. I haven't picked my Dario Argento movie yet." <laughs> so I, you've been you've been this whole time. You've been is, I have a couple in my head. There's a part of me that wants to go like '90s Argento, something like, Sten Hall syndrome. <laughs> not even well, Sten Hall syndrome would be a great choice, but there's a part of me that where my heart really lies with it, and it's not one of the most obscure um, for Argento fans, for like diehard Argento fans, but for the casual horror fan who might even not even know Suspiria, uh, 1980s Inferno, which is possibly my favorite Argento movie. I mean, I love Deep Red. Uh, Profundo Rosso. It's, it's, it rivals for me Profundo Rosso as my favorite. See, I have to spoiler alert. Profundo Rosso is on my uh, my list, my written list, because it's just a good. Well, it's it. It to me, it's really basically like not defined, but it really just framed as genre. That it really is. Giallo genre. I mean, Inferno. I think like. I think most people. Even with the success of Suspiria and how amazing Suspiria is, do you, do you? I'm sorry to break in, but do you like? Do you do you think Suspiria is as good as everyone says? Comparably to because you know that is by far if you're a horror fan and you're uh, um, a, not a, I was going to say Fulci if you're if you're a fan of Argento, people are always that's the first thing that jumps out. Suspiria, Suspiria, Suspiria. It's not all the lists. I don't you know? necessarily. I it's weird. I don't necessarily feel that Suspiria is overrated. Yeah, but I do feel that. He has other films that are as good, if not better, that don't get mentioned. Uh, Suspiria, obviously, has a lot fucking going for it, and I would never take away anything from Suspiria. Everything from Goblin's score to the way it's shot is, is amazing. Profondo Rosso, probably overseas, like Italy, Profondo Rosso is like Psycho. I mean, it's like the... Deep Red, Jaws, yeah. It's you know, for Italian. Everybody knows Deep Red. Hey, you... Um uh, I know you did it before in our Giallo sidecast, but tell fans again quickly what you said about you were asking an Italian friend of yours, uh, you know, about... Every time, you always hear that Argento's big in Italy, but, or, or overseas, and that he's not just, he's just not known that well here. So every time I know somebody that's Italian, I always have to ask them, like, oh, do you know Dario Argento? And ask them about Dario Argento. And I, there was an actor I met Instantly, he was like, "Oh, he's the Spielberg. He's Spielberg of Italy." I mean, that's how big he is. I mean, he's Steven Spielberg of Italy. And, I guess and, it, and uh, it's interesting because the movies he's making—he's not making ET. No, he's not. He's, he's making, really dark. <laughs> he's making some know. really weird shit. Uh, and it's—it's it's usually 
bordering on the same theme, give or take a couple movies. It's just the killer. Yeah, you know, he's the killer when the first person. There's very. Goes. I mean, a lot of his movies have a very like almost the same exact plot. Yeah. Um, other another guy that I mentioned, he was like, oh, he's not that big. Um, but but then he's like, but then he like qualified it and just proved my point. He's like, well, you know, he's not that big, but everybody knows him and has seen his movies. Yeah. You know, like he's um, an institution. Then. And even when I uh, interview. When I interviewed Claudio Simonetti, he was talking about. I was like, "So, what was it like meeting him for the first time? Like, were you aware of his movies?" He's like, "Well, Profondo Rosso was like his fifth. Deep Red was like his fifth film. So he's like, it was like Spielberg walking into the studio with a bunch of guys in their twenties who were in a stu- in like a rock band and asking them to do the score for his movies. It was like he was fucking huge then, yeah. and he still is. I and mean, he's huge, like as just as a personality, like." Apparently, when he walks down the street, it's like people hoard him. I mean, he's on TV talking about soccer wow. on newscasts. You know, like he's like go to him about his opinions on like soccer, and he like hosts TV shows. He's more than just a filmmaker. There, he's like a, he's like Hitchcock in that he's a personality that you would go and see on t- TV, and like he's a character in and of himself. But Inferno, it's it's supposed it was it's the sequel in so many words to Suspiria. Uh, Suspiria was the first of what was supposed to be a trilogy which just got completed, you know, five, six years ago with a film called Mother of Tears. Um, Inferno was the second film, uh, the Three Mothers trilogy is what they're, it's known as. Um, it's the film he did after Suspiria. Suspiria was 1977. 1980 comes uh, Inferno. The plot is really convoluted. It, in, in a nutshell, this woman buys this old uh, diary that's in Latin. She's like a college student, and she she starts to read it, and she deciphers that she believes that her New York City apartment building is one of the houses of the three mothers. So she writes to her brother. She's like, shit's fucked up. I need help. By the who's a musician, which is a very Argento thing. By the time he makes it to it makes it to New York from Italy, he's studying music in Rome. She's dead, and it becomes him trying to solve the, the case. What's so great about it is, like, the plot doesn't matter. Throw the plot out there. Keith Emerson from Emerson, Lake and Palmer does an amazing score for it, very intense. Mario Bava, like the godfather of uh, Italian horror movies, helps out by doing visual effects. He's you know, given credit for there's a, an amazing underwater sequence. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the part that stands out in my film when they go underneath. This woman drops some keys into, like, a manhole or like a hole in the ground that's filled with water and when she goes in to get it it turns out it's like a, a filled submerged building yeah right? like, like a, a big luxury like, apartment study yeah. like that's that's like filled with water and she's like swimming around underwater and, and there's bodies in there demons in there it's, beautiful, it's just it's a beautiful sequence but what I love about this movie is everything that he was trying to do with Suspiria in terms of like the crazy lighting um, colors colors and, and just like the, visually, everything he was trying to do with Suspiria, I felt like that was the warm-up. The trial run for Yeah, and Inferno. then Inferno, he fucking nails just it. Just kicks it out of the park. It's just like, you can it. see that, like, three years later, he, he's like, okay, I practiced, and now I'm going to really do it. And it's just, it's a stunning film to watch. Absolutely beautiful. Music intense. Plot fucking crazy. I thought you would have picked, like, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, or I, Bird yeah. with the Crystal Plumage. My favorite of, of, the, of his first three movies is actually Cat of Nine Tales. Yeah, his um, animal. I was thinking about going with Trauma from 1993, which stars his daughter Asia Argento, which is 
in some ways a little bit of a return to the. And kind what's of his film. name too? Oh, it's got Frederick Forrest. It's got Piper Laurie. Um, uh, what's his face from Child's Play? Oh, Brad Dourif. Brad, yeah, Brad, Brad Dourif. Uh, Tom Savini uh, shows Tom Savini up does in there. The effect. It's a movie. Then it's his first movie. It's Argento makes a movie in America, basically, and it's an incredibly fucked up, weird movie. Yeah. And I almost picked it just because that is a movie that like nobody fucking has seen. But uh, in my heart, uh, Inferno is probably my favorite. Uh, he's a guy again who I feel. Personally, not disparaging, but he's kind of not as been as well as he has in the past. His, modern, his movies nowadays, as he's fared from the his really classics, and I, I really feel if you are a horror fan, you need to search out Italian horror. You need to search out certainly him, and you need to see his span. I'd say from the seventies to the night to nineteen ninety. Those those films yeah, in the seventies and eighties. Through the eighties, opera is a great movie. Um, he even returned in, 19, in 2000 he did a movie called Sleepless yeah. or Non Hosono where, where Goblin actually reunited to do the score and a lot of people give him shit past like the 80s but that's actually a really good no film. I like the Sten Hall Syndrome I like uh, Trauma I like um, there's a couple other ones in there that, that from that era he's, just, he's kind of going a different direction I think he just got kind of sick of doing that kind of movie and he's He's done Phantom of the Opera. His last yeah. film was Dracula. Yeah, he did Dracula with um, um, what's his face, uh, Rucker Howard. He, yeah, he just did Helsing in it. Uh, he did one with Adrian Brody. He did a movie called Giallo. Yeah, Giallo. Yeah, that's it. Which, um, yeah, you know, I, I like it. Yeah. It's it, you it's know, interesting. There's not a, look. Not all his movies are great, and but especially past a certain period. But it, you can't get kind of better than seventies Argento. Um, yeah, he's great. Um, our next one here, it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be really in the weeds, uh, but I think it's, it's, it's almost re- relevant for today's audiences because of what it deals with, and it is uh, 1977's Shockwaves, uh, starring um, Peter Cushing, John Carradine, Brooke Adams again, and it is basically your Nazi zombie uh, film. <laughs> But mine, yeah, not, yeah, it's yours. But it's it's your it's not uh, Nazis. Nazis are so popular nowadays. Zombies are so popular nowadays. And this movie basically um, is about these, uh, the, as you would do in the seventies. Couples would just go vacation, and do things, and they get into like a shitload of problems. It seems like the plot of every um, of every uh, horror movie. Uh, then and this is the same thing where they rent a boat John Carradine they go to a tropical island they get stuck on the island once the boat gets um, stuck uh, in in, in uh, low tide and uh, these Nazi zombies who have been there for all these years are awakened and uh, very interesting story Peter Cushing is their SS officer and he was on the sub with them they were dispatched into the Atlantic Ocean uh, waiting orders for the end of um, the war. The war came, ended. They were stuck out there, so he brought them there, and he sank them off the coast. And he's been kind of watching them for, I guess now, going on 35, 40 years to make sure they don't come back. And guess what? They come back now, and these people come, and it, it just leads to some really, really good stuff. They filmed it at this hotel in Florida called the the Biltmore Hotel, and they only they, they were only charged at the time $250 a night to shoot at this place. It's amazing, and Cushing's performance is really good as this SS officer talking about the Kooten, the, the Tutan Corps, which is the death corps uh, of these Nazi zombies, and um, it was directed by Ken uh, Weiderman, or Weiderhorn, I'm sorry, who went on to do uh, Return of the Living Dead 2 in 1988, I think he did like meatballs too, maybe, yeah. but uh, 
it's really good. It's PG. There's no nudity, no gore, uh, no none of the usual trappings of horror because the director admittedly says he's a he's not a horror fan. So it instead focuses on the dread and anxiety, and and I think it's it's really good and it's a great score. And even Roger Waters, he had an album uh, he put out called Amused to Death, and he sampled some of the dialogue from this movie. And I've, you've seen Shockwaves. Yeah, you? it's a it's a really cool, interesting film. Um, even though it got a DVD release, it seems like it was very hard to find. Well, it went it went away. It was weird. For years, it was one of these movies where you'd see the cover, and the cover's so iconic. Yeah. And it's and it's like, what the hell is that movie? And you couldn't find it. It was out of print, and even to the point where the the actual thirty-five millimeter negative got stolen or misplaced. So for these for all these years, uh, once it went out of stock on the in the video um, uh, world, you couldn't get it anywhere. You'd see it at like uh, you know horror shows or conventions if you can get yourself a bootleg copy of it. And finally, I think the director had his own personal copy of it. Yeah. It was his first movie he did. And then I think that's what they based for the DVD and the Blu-ray releases. Yeah. And it really holds up as a really good movie. I mean, the reason why I say it's relevant nowadays is because everyone's into zombies. And like we said, that's kind of now being foreshadowed or well, you have overcome now, like, by vampires. Dead Snow, which is, yeah, like, which is kind of a zombie movie. Yeah, but you know, as good as the special effects are in that movie, that's kind of like... like um, European meets like Evil Dead, yeah, Dead yeah. Snow, and this really kind of treats it with it's believable. As stupid as Nazi zombies sound, yeah, yeah. it's done in such a believable way, and it's such an awesome concept that these these freaky Nazi zombies are on this island and they get awakened and they're going to go kill everybody. And Brooke Adams is in it, and it's a year before Invasion of the Body Snatchers, so I wonder if maybe this is the role he got. So like making it. Came out around the same time as Star Wars. Yeah, it's so it's such a good movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cushing coming off this is what he was doing around that time, you know. Uh, and I might be mistaken, but I read somewhere this could be the only movie that John Carradine and Peter Cushing are in together. Which I don't know if that's entirely true because there's a Vincent Price movie called House of something from the early '80s that I have. Uh, House of Long Shadows, maybe that they might be in together. So yeah. this might be their first appearance together. Yeah, but even when it came out on DVD, it seemed like it was like went out of print fairly. Quickly, like you couldn't even get it, like from Netflix. To no, end. I mean it was yeah. like yeah, I got and, it. And it then came it, and went, and then you could still find it. That might now, I guess now there's probably a Blu-ray. Yeah, there's a Blu-ray so, release of it with so all the special features, which is probably Blue Underground, if, I'm, if I had to guess. But yeah, yeah, really cool, interesting film. Uh, Short, that, but to the point. One that's definitely like just slipped through the cracks. Yeah, for, certainly uh, for obscure. Many years. Yeah. What now? What do you got? We're almost at the tail end of this. Well, uh, my fifth choice, and this is the one I am going to go a little outside the box, a little weird. I'm going much more current, uh-huh. as opposed to all my other films were in the '70s or 1960. Um, one that I feel like does not get the appreciation that it deserves. I mentioned that I like this movie to people, and people are like, what? Or um, when somebody is looking for a movie, I often recommend this movie. uh, 2004's Seed of Chucky. Seed of Chucky? (laughs) Yeah. Wow, I don't think I've ever even seen it. Seed of Chucky, um, directed by Don Don Mancini, who wrote all of them, created Chucky. Uh, wrote all of them. This was the he, first time him sitting, stepping into the director's chair to direct a Chucky movie. Uh, there's a more recent one that I haven't seen yet, which yeah, he also which directs, I th- he did, like, yeah. Curse of Chucky or yeah. something like that. Um, just a really out there, weird fucking movie 
definitely because uh, in the last one, the Bride of Chucky, they they got married, right? And this is then now they're having kids. Or? Well, this is yeah, it's it's one of those movies that, like um, that you and I saw in the theater, Bride of Chucky. <laughs> yes, we did together. We saw Bride of Chucky, yeah. uh, where. The Alamo Draft House. Yeah, we're the Yonkers now. Alamo Draft Houses now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, wasn't the, old, the, it um, wasn't the United Artists Theater. Then. It was the old United Artists Theater. Um, it's one of those movies like Wes Craven's New Nightmare oh. or um, Night of, uh, or uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which isn't about a movie. It's about a book, but it's like a movie within a movie, kind of. They're making a movie starring Jennifer Tilly. Jennifer Tilly plays herself. Yeah. Um, Playing basically the bride of Chucky, like the voice of the bride. Of she Chucky, was in the last who one who did play. She was in uh, Bride of Chucky, but she's playing that. She's playing herself, playing that character in a movie about Chucky. That was the third. Is after Child's Play three? Is it then Bride of Chucky the next one? Yeah. Okay. And then see the Chucky, and then the next one, Cursor. Um, there is a there's a, a doll like Chucky. Who uh, they kind of adopt? <laughs> it's very bizarre. That's voiced by um, uh, Billy Boyd, who's in the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, again, obviously Brad Dourif does the uh, voice of Chucky. Great. John Waters is in it. Um, it's just it's a really off the wall, very strange. It's a hell of a, a ride. Like I, I really. Whatever I say about it is not going to do it justice. Um, it's a movie that you just have to get get into the get into the like the roller coaster ride car, put the bar down, and just do it. Make sure it's secure. I'm going to have to go see and this then, now. I feel just, I feel it's just guilty a, that I haven't seen it. Within the 2000s, I got into this thing where I just like weird went a very long way for me with movies. You know, the fact that like that movie it's just so fucking out there and strange that I just loved it like I appreciate that somebody made it that somebody decided to release it on the big screen in other in different ways the movie called Splice came a little bit later which is just fucking weird yeah, I love that movie just cause it's weird weird in a comp- completely different way but there was like a time where like these really just like strange movies that were horror or sci-fi related were coming out and it was just like it was a really great time to, to just love it. to it just gives you hope that you did that, that the yeah, tour is it's just back. it's yeah. such an odd ball weird idea like I said probably more comic than horror um just a really nutty movie but that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing no, I think no, like sometimes you know some of the like, best movies are the, the comedic spin on the horror but just to like you know for someone who's gonna try to go see this movie for the first time I think people think of like Ride of Chucky when I say Seed of Chucky and they're like oh like, why would you even bother whereas like it's taking the genre and completely I'm not gonna say like turning it on its ear or anything but like embracing it in the way that Scream kind of did and pointing out playing with the genre itself and just like having fun with the fact that this is a horror movie, like I said, it's they're making it that they're making the movie within the movie. So there's like this weird. It's just a. It's just a. It's just a strange and strange and fun movie that I totally recommend. It. That's great. Um, I guess I'm gonna round out with something what I actually thought you'd have on your list. It might be on the other. The um, other five. Yeah, uh, it's five. it's a movie which I feel we saw together. Yeah, it has a connection to the Podowitz as well. Um, 
and I think it shaped both of us. It had a, a big, big, big um, impact on the when we. It's also on that four year cusp of when I'm, we were watching these movies. I'm intrigued. Um, it is uh, 1980s Maniac. Uh, yeah, very close. I, I have it definitely as a film that was, you know, that was in contention for the post. Yeah, um, a film that I really came close to putting on this list, but. In my head, honestly, I was like, out of the movies that I that were so important to me during that time, the one movie that I had that I thought there's a chance you might pick was that one. So yeah. I didn't pick it. Yeah, I was, and, I, and I figured if it slips through the cracks, that one of us would end up putting it on the post of the next five for the Saturday night. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've actually I have backups because I thought you were going to throw this out there. I mean, it's from 1980. It's, it stars um, Joe Spinell, Tom Savini. Caroline uh, Murno, uh, sorry, who was also in The, the Spy Who Loved Me uh, in 1977. Um, Randy Jurgensen, a friend of the Podwitz, is also in it as well. And uh, a big f- uh, favorite of mine, Sharon Mitchell, the X-rated porn star from the 70s, who I love. Uh, Sheen, I think another, maybe another two porn stars on it too. Directed by William Lusting, who you've met several times and talked to and yeah, had dinner with. Yeah, I mean... Yes, I mean a great guy, a fantastic uh, filmmaker and and um, preserver of genre cinema with uh, Anchor Bay and now his own company Blue Underground, taking these kinds of movies. The reason why we have Martin to talk about, we have got Bowie too to talk about, or the Shockwaves, um, you know, Shockwaves is because of uh, William Lustig. He even um, going back to Inferno, he was he worked on Inferno. For the New York aspect wow. of the shoot, yeah. when um, when Joe Spinell is watching the news and it's like the chopper footage. Oh yeah, of, that's that was footage that Bill Lustig shot for Inferno that didn't get used. Oh, so they have it. So he oh. so he ended up using it in Maniac. Um, in, in a nutshell, uh, Joe Spinell plays uh, a guy who's really messed up and he has a, um, a, a really 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 bad time with women. And uh, he is trying to find love in all the wrong places. <laughs> and he's going to hookers and prostitutes. But he ends up killing them and mutilating them by scalping them, bringing their scalps and their clothes home with him to mannequins he has there. And he nails the, the, the scalps onto the mannequins, dresses the mannequins up, and then they become his forever in a sense where they are never going to leave him they're always going to be there for him and it goes back to mother issues yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's that's a huge thing I mean this it. is a film that literally uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is another one even yeah. Keeping Tom we could do this with, with almost any of the movies we talk about but this one specifically for me like we could do an entire hour on this movie if we, if we wanted to and we probably we, it probably um, will show up I think a, a lot of these I have to say probably most likely might show up in the, in the as month, a pod, as, as a Saturday, podcast. yeah, Saturday sleepovers uh, on our on our site because they're so good in a sense. In this movie, Savini did the special effects, 1980. Uh, it's got a lot going on. It it kind of some people say it may fall apart in the end of the second to the third act. I think it's still amazing all the way through. It just had a remake it was written by Spinell. Spinell, yeah, it was his Rocky. He wrote it. Um, uh, he did a lot of the footage with him. Jurgensen and Lusting going out at night, getting a lot of the uh, the footage on the streets they in New York City. A, did a lot of research into the mind of like serial killers and trying to figure out what made them tick. And so Joe Spinell's character, in a lot of ways, uh, has a little bit of aspects of everyone from like Ted Bundy um, 
a lot. Yeah, a lot you of you know, like they kind of he's like he's a culmination of all the research yeah. they kind of did. And it's weird because a lot of he has a lot of monologues that sound like they're gibberish, but the more you watch him, and I think the last viewing I had with my wife, I think it kind of hit me where it's just like it's it's almost his dueling personalities. He yeah. has the the child in him that doesn't want this to happen, but then he has the the overt, the aggressive, the, the the sexual predator in there that takes over, and you hear it's him doing the voiceover, but it's him playing both parts. So you you don't understand it, but it seems to me like they're battling each other, and like you know, you, you know one telling the other one you have to stop this because we're going to get caught, and the other one like well we have to do it. And it's just now it comes out post Halloween, comes out the same year as Friday the Thirteenth, so it gets lumped into this like slasher. Yeah. craze of, of movies but it's really not well, I think Savini went right off of the first Halloween went right up to do this like I showed it in my horror class uh, one year and it just tanked oh really it just fucking bombed and I didn't, I didn't know why um, you know it's 1980 very low budget so like the other films we're talking about very dated in a lot of ways but then I showed clips from Halloween I didn't show the entire movie, but I showed clips from Halloween. I showed clips from like Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, which you, which I know is a favorite of yours. That's a, that's a, on my retin. <laughs> that's one of my retin. And um, you know, ones that are more slasher, like yeah. that Friday the Thirteenth movie, for instance, really embracing playing with the uh, conventions of that genre. So, like, but the problem is, I felt with Maniac, it was kind of before all that, and it. It bombed because it takes itself very seriously. And so my, you know, 20-something audience uh, at the time was less forgiving with certain conventions because of its serious tone as opposed to a more fun tone, like one of the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah. Um, That was my kind of assessment, where they laughed at the same and had fun with the same exact things in these other scenes, but they didn't like it in Maniac. Um, I think it's. I don't think it takes away from the movie at all. It's just it's perception. Yeah, and I think people they were expecting something, and it didn't deliver what they were expecting. It's been remade. Yeah, uh, the Elijah Wood. It's surprising because I when I first heard it was being remade, I was like, this is going to be a horrible remake. And I know you saw it, you loved it, and I saw it. I think it's a really, really good remake, and it's much like the. Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake, where it actually almost kind of follows the same beats. There's and a lot the of plot structure similarities. That it's very much. It's a. Uh, I mean, I know it's taken out of New York. It's no longer in New York. The remake. Yeah. You and know. It, and, oh, and then you think Elijah Wood playing a Tom, uh, um, Tom Savini, a, a Joe Smell character wouldn't work, but it's it a bit of a gimmick movie, and that it's almost entirely through his point of view. But it doesn't. But it's not. It's not off-putting though. Yeah, you know? I mean, but it's definitely like a gimmick. Yeah. And, but it's not nearly as annoying as I was expecting it to be. Yeah. Um, the music in the original, and the music in the remake, but the music in by the original. By Rob, right? The new one? The, in the new one, it's by a, a guy named Rob. Very cool. Very yeah. um, a tangerine dream. Yeah. Uh, feel Michael like, Mann 80s, kind of like. But yeah. the original music uh, by Jay Chataway, fantastic score. Yeah. One of my favorite scores of all time. Um, has. That's a score that just like won't die, and that like it's been released on vinyl, multiple CDs. There was even a CD release where the CD was not just a picture of Joe Spinell, but it was cut to be shaped like Joe Spinell's head. Wow! <laughs> and I don't know how the CD how it play. spins to, to to read that way. And it's really play. a tour de force for Joe Spinell. I mean, he really he's in a lot of movies. If you don't know who Joe Spinell is, you probably do and just don't know. 
Oh, you should yeah. look him up. I mean, he's in the greatest American movies of all time. He's yeah. in Godfather. He's in Taxi Driver. Godfather 2. He's in Rocky. Rocky, Rocky 2. He's in uh, Sorcerer. Nighthawks. He's in Nighthawks. <laughs> he's in um, Night Shift. He's in a lot of movies in that time that you're like, oh, that's that guy. Have you ever seen the footage of like Spielberg waiting to find to hear if he's nominated for Jaws? I don't understand why that even happened. Joe Spinell's there. Yeah, with the Jaws shirt on. He's like hanging out with him? Uh, He was best buds at one time with Stallone. They had kind of falling out when Stallone got really big after Nighthawks, but uh, him and Stallone. And then that's the reason why... You see pictures of Stallone at the Cannes Film Festival, Cannes Film Festival 1980, where they played Maniac. You see Stallone walk around with a Maniac t-shirt. It's it's amazing. And that's another reason Spinell was also tight with uh, Randy Jurgensen, who we talk about a lot in the Podwits, too. So that's the connection there. It's a great movie. Must see. I'll even endorse the remake. Uh, we should wrap this up, but I have a couple of um, honorable mentions. I wanted to point out uh, Bob Clark's Black Christmas, 1974. Black Christmas is a movie that I absolutely love. Almost made it to this list, but in some ways I was like, it's been remade, so right. kind of how like underappreciated it can be. It's you a know, fun remake. I, um, mean. I wanted to also throw, give a shout-out to 1990 Tom Savini's remake of Night of the Living Dead. I know a lot of people don't like it. Uh, I, I will go on record saying the, the score is absolutely atrocious, but that is no fault of Tom Savini because he didn't want that score. But I think it is a very, very decent, if not great, remake of Romero's original. It takes a lot of the concepts that Romero wanted to do but wasn't really able to and kind of explores them in the remake. And uh, Tobe Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, I thought you were going to put that on there from 1974. Well, that's not. I know. It's just that's flush. A, I know. That's that's. But that, I feel like people won't not go a, back. That's not obscure. But I feel like I feel like people won't go. I think I feel like people will go as far back as the Matthew McConaughey and think oh, that you know what I mean. The 80s, they won't go back and look at the what started it all. You know what movie almost made my list was Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The 80s three. one with Viggo Morganson yeah. and the black guy from. Uh, Romero's always loved, I always loved the preview at the beginning like when you rented a movie and they had previews always a great preview surprisingly good um, but the one movie I would shout out because we're actually going to discuss this film for Halloween at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers a movie that by sh- for sure needs to be on this list but since we're going to be doing a whole podcast Halloween 3 Season of the Witch mm-hmm. directed by Tommy Lee Wallace produced by John Carpenter um, that is a movie that deserve to be here but we're going to be doing a whole cast, a whole cast, a whole cast about it so that's uh, a little preview for that and the last one I wanted to, one last shout out which was going to be a substitute for me was the original Invaders from Mars 1953 they remade it in the 80s right now if you're listening to this cast in October of 2014 the remake is actually for the first time streaming on Netflix it's not available on DVD so if you have it Netflix instant go watch that remake bad boy the original is amazing from 1953 directed by William Cameron Mendes uh, it's told from a child's perspective. It's almost like a Tim Burton movie. The sets and all that. It's it's very fantasy uh, and it's completely worth watching. Great, great horror. I mean, alien so many film movies the time. we could yeah. have mentioned. Um, but thank you for listening to us on, on the sidecast. Uh, we are at podwits.com. Uh, shoot us an email. We're on Twitter. We're on uh, Podjoy. We're on iTunes. We're on Facebook. Um, this is also to promote our Saturday night movie sleepovers. At Check out Saturday night movie sleepovers. We are just in the 
midst of discussing DVD and Blu-ray giveaways. Yeah, that promotions might, that we're going to do. That we might be doing you know, on there. So um, check us out at SaturdaySleepovers.podwits.com. Uh, you'll love it. It's, it's, it's a real fun time. If you like any of these sidecasts, we're, we're expanding them and we're talking about... Uh, movies at a time that we would grow up watching uh, that were nostalgic for us. We or basically again, pick one movie and talk about it yeah. uh, in a very nostalgic way and, or just a little bit of maybe a little bit of info, a lot of our feelings about it. It's, a, it's, a, it's fun. It's informative. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's informative it, and entertaining. Yeah, and it's, it's stuff you would have watched with your friends growing up. So uh, please check us out. Go over there. Check us out at podwoods.com. Uh, we do it all the time. Uh, Jay, you have a blues album that just dropped. Blues album out called uh, When You Coming Home. Yeah. It's on Amazon, iTunes, all those things. Jay, Jay Blake. Blake. So please check that out. Jay Blake's uh, go to Jay Blake, When You Coming Home. Go to jblakeblues.com. Check and, that out. And that uh, you can go straight. That has links to go buy the album if you're interested. Yeah. You should. You should. It's good. It's good. Uh, I'm not only a member. I'm also a client. So... Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, and uh, tell a friend about us, and we love you, and stay tuned to us. And sa- it's intrigue on the high seas, as Dobbler discovers it's his fiance that goes missing aboard the luxury cruise ship, the Badongus, as they vacation in Mexico. Will Dr. Sylvia intervene? Mystery lay a course ahead in tonight's episode of Protocol. AM331. The station you're too embarrassed to tell your friends you listen to.